always good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into this. Um, you know, today we're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture where Jesus forgives a man and then heals this man. You know, we'll, we'll read it in a moment, and I'm, I'm sure that everyone will be able to understand what it's saying. We'll be able to comprehend the text. However, I know I sound like a broken record. I say this all the time. I stress this all the time, that there are deeper meanings that can only be revealed when we seek to understand. You know, I always like to ask myself that when I read the Bible, when I study the Bible, I want to understand what is he trying to communicate to me. That's what the Bible is. I believe sincerely that the Lord has hidden many, many, many treasures to be found in his word to anyone who would be willing to seek them out. Hebrews teaches us this. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you diligently seek and you search, you will be rewarded with further understanding of his word. Romans tells us this. If you've been a part of our Sunday night Bible study at all, you know we spent a few moments on this verse. But in chapter 11, verse 33 of Romans, it says this. Oh, the depths and riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know what that means? That means that there is a treasure trove of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Scripture, that will, one of which will become apparent today as we unearth a gem from our text this morning. Okay? Now, we're going to be in the Gospel according to Luke, and we'll be in the fifth chapter. We're going to read a few Scriptures there. Just before we do, to refresh your memory. Luke is known as the beloved physician. The Apostle Paul calls him that. He was a friend of the Apostle Paul. He was a travel companion of the Apostle Paul. Maybe even his doctor would tend to his wounds and his injuries. This, this Luke would. Now Luke was a learned man, educated. They believe able to fluently read and write Greek as he was a Greek man. M many Biblical scholars believe that Luke is the only Gentile author of any of the books of the Bible. All the rest of them written by Jews. But we have this man Luke that emerges here and he writes his gospel. He's also accredited with writing the book of Acts. And if, if you'll look at his writings, you'll see they're distinct because Luke... Again, I'll mention he was an educated man. You can tell that he researched because if you read the Gospel of Luke, if you read the, Gospel, or the, the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see very many names, specific names. You'll see dates. You'll see geographic locations, geographic regions. You'll see sailing routes indicating to us that this man researched and he put a lot into his work. He put a lot into his writings. And today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now we're going to read a little bit. But remember, play, pay, please pay close attention to what is being read. Don't zone out on me this morning. Because this is good stuff. And this teaches extremely valuable information to us. It says this. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching. He's talking about Jesus. That there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea 
in Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Verse 18 says, And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy, meaning he was a, a paralytic of some type. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Verse 20 says, And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Verse 21 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts, whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins, he says unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Our final scripture says, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Amen. I love this. But within this, understand the Lord's trying to communicate a message to us. He's not trying to impress us and saying, hey, look what Jesus can do. Look what I can do. He's trying to teach us something out of this that Luke records here before us. There is a man with a palsy. Again, it's some type of paralysis. His limbs didn't work. His extremities didn't work. It doesn't tell us a whole lot about it. I actually looked it up a little bit. It, it, it means he was a paralytic. And a, a lot of times with this palsy came involuntary tremors. You know, maybe his limbs would shake and he couldn't stop it. He didn't have control of them. So there's this man with a palsy. Now this is also recorded in the Gospel of Mark. This, this same account is recorded in Mark. Now we won't go there, but I went back and looked. And the Gospel of Mark says that he was born of four. What that means is four men carried him. Okay, so there's this paralytic man, this palsied man. And he's on a bed of some type, and these four men carry him. I don't know if they have a stave going through, and there's two on this side, two on that side, or if maybe they just carry the corners of his, his bed or his couch. I don't know how it worked, but he was carried by four men on a, a, a mat, a sleeping mat, a, a couch, a bed of some type of fabric. Now, these four men, they obviously have heard of Jesus, and they think, we're going to get this palsied man to Christ they've heard of Jesus they heard of the great things that he can do and their thought process is if we can just get our paralytic buddy to Jesus something might happen that's their mindset but they are unable to because of the multitude again I'll refer you back to the gospel of Mark the gospel of Mark says that because of the press now remember Jesus was thronged many places wherever he would go he was thronged and, and, and we can imagine this, that a, a great teacher with tremendous doctrine, the ability to speak and orate, coupled with the fact of the awesome, wondrous working power that he had, the miracle working power that he had to heal and to cure diseases, this would cause great stir, you can imagine. 
and people would come from all around and they would throng him and try to get to him. It would, it would attract tremendous attention. Back then, just like it would today, attract tremendous attention. Well, these four men carrying this paralytic man, they cannot get to Jesus because of the press, because of the thronging of Christ. So they hatch a plan. Maybe we can lower him down through the roof. You know, I mean, that's some determination, isn't it? You've got to respect their efforts. Uh, and notice, too, the Bible does not tell us who these men are. Does, does not reveal them. It says men. That's all it says. Group of guys. We don't know who they are. Th- this same account is recorded in all the synoptic gospels, and none of them tell us who these men are. M- possibly they're friends. Maybe they're relatives. Maybe a, a few brothers of his or something. Maybe neighbors. Maybe caregivers of some type. We don't know. But whoever they are, they're determined to get this man to Jesus. They're not going to be turned away. They're going to find a way to get this man to Christ. They're determined. Maybe, we don't know, we can, we can surmise, we can take a wild guess. Maybe the paralytic man is, is compelling them on. Maybe he's saying, get me to Christ. We don't know. But we do know this. Look back at verse 19. It says, and when they could not find by what way they might bring him in, because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Somehow, these men get up on the roof with a paralyzed man. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought that through, but I must figure reasonably that this was not an easy task to get a paralyzed man up on a rooftop. It could not have been very easy. Matter of fact, there had to have been an element of danger to it. There had to have been a a risk of a fall. Someone could have fell. I mean, we're talking about a thatch roof of some type. Back then, most roofs were thatching or a clay tile of some type. And and these men, we're not talking about corrugated steel undergirded with I-beams. We're not talking about a, a, a prefabricated roof truss made in a shop somewhere by engineers. We're talking about very primitive roofing of some type, made up of vegetation and some timbers and so on and so forth. There, this had to have been a little bit dangerous. There's a risk that someone could be injured. But these men aren't going to be turned away. These men, we don't even know who they are, doesn't give us their names. They are determined. This man, one way or the other, is going to get to the Lord Jesus. Even after undoing the roof, you know, I mean, imagine if somehow they get this man, and, it, it, and we know that, you know, ever tried to carry someone that's dead weight, you know? Me and my boys will wrestle around sometime, and if one of them grab me, I'll just put all my weight into them, and they have a hard time struggling. Because when you have dead weight in your arms, it's, it's very difficult to just carry someone around. I, I know that I myself, I wouldn't be able to just throw a man on my shoulder and bebop up onto a rooftop. It would be very difficult. But somehow, they get this man up on the roof. And even after getting him up there somehow, and undoing, maybe they're ripping this tile open, or the thatching, or whatever it was. They're ripping it open. You know, they would have had to have lowered him down perfectly in unison. Remember, he was born of four. There's these four men. I picture maybe they have these ropes or something like that, and they're lowering him down. But if, if one guy's lowering him down nice and slow, and then this guy over here is lowering him down quick, you got a chance of dumping this poor paralytic man out onto the ground. 
And if he doesn't have the use of his extremities, he doesn't even have a way to brace himself from the fall. You see that this is, it's a pretty elaborate plan to get to Jesus, isn't it? When you really think about what happened in this situation, you spend some time thinking what, what, what these men, these unnamed men, what they went through, their determination, these men will not be turned away. Pure, pure and simple. There is no, they, they will not be rejected. They're going to accomplish their mission one way or the other. These men are going to get to Jesus. Now, I need you to pay real close attention to this part. Because this is the part where the Lord tapped you on the shoulder and said, you might want to preach about this, my child. Now, we got a picture in our mind. Jesus in this house or building, whatever it may have been. We have to picture him teaching and ministering. And remember, there's a multitude. People are packed into this building or home or whatever it is. They're packed in. More are trying to get in. People are trying to look through the windows. People are trying to press their way into the door to get in to see this great teacher. And picture Jesus teaching and preaching as he often did. A parable or whatever it may have been. And then all of a sudden, a bed with a paralytic man, begins to descend out of the ceiling and comes down. Now we're going to look at verse 20. Okay, do you have that picture in your mind? Luke 5 verse 20 says, And when he saw their faith, and when he saw their faith, listen to me now, here's the lesson this morning. It was not the faith of the palsied man, but rather Jesus saw the faith of his friends. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? When Jesus saw the extreme measures that these men took to get the palsied man to him, it prompted Jesus to forgive the man and then heal the man. And when he saw their faith, not the palsied man's faith, their faith, when he looked up and he saw those men lowering him down, he saw their faith, their faith caused this man to get a healing. Do you see the precious jewel of wisdom that is unearthed to us in this account of the palsied man this morning? The faith of other people caused the Lord to forgive this man and heal this man over there. When God sees genuine faith, he is compelled to action. This man over here was forgiven and healed because of someone else's belief in Christ. Hmm. I wonder what the implications of this could be. I, I wonder if, if, what does this communicate to us? What does it communicate to me? What does it communicate to the church this morning? Could it possibly be that the Lord is trying to teach us that faith in Him can cause other people to be healed and forgiven? Could it be possible that if we, the church, the Christians... If we remain steadfast in the faith that it could possibly generate healing and salvation to other people. A lot of times we look at faith and see what it will benefit me. Take away my disease, take away my problems, take away my issues. But here in this story that emerges to us in Luke chapter 5 that says, No, 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 your faith can impact other people. Notice that in this, this account it doesn't talk at all about the faith of the paralytic man. He might not have had any faith. He might have said, why are you guys doing this? This is embarrassing. You're making a spectacle out of me. But that didn't matter because when he saw their faith. Hmm. Maybe, maybe 
if we demonstrate the same faith that these four men did, it might impact our schools. Maybe if we demonstrate the same faith that these four men did, it might impact our businesses. Just maybe. Could it be that if we sow strong faith, then it might have a godly impact on our neighborhoods and on our communities and on the war on drugs and on down the line? If we have faith, doesn't matter if they don't have faith, and when he saw their faith, could, could it just be that if we trust wholly on our Savior Jesus Christ, that he might just be compelled to action? And when he saw their faith, someone might say, but, but the world is lost. They're lost. Their faith got someone else saved. Their faith got someone else healed. We ain't worried about the world's faith. We ain't worried about the drug dealer's faith. We ain't worried about that. The Lord's worried about our faith. When he saw their faith, that man was healed and forgiven. I I just wonder if, if, if God's looking down upon us right now. This church. If he's looking down upon you, if his eyes rest upon you this morning, does he see that same kind of faith that those four men had when he looks upon us, when he looks upon this congregation? Does he see a people that are determined, I'm going to get this situation to the Lord Jesus. I will not be turned away. Does he see that determination in us? Or does he just see us, oh, the problem's too big, it's too much. And when he saw their faith. I just imagine Christ seeing this paralyzed man on this bed or this couch being lowered down through this roof. Jesus had to have thought, somebody went to great lengths to get this man to me. How did they get up on that roof? Look at all these people surrounding me, yet they found a way. They made a way. They refused to be turned away. They refused to be rejected. They refused the answer no. They found a way. It had to have gotten his attention. It had to have. It did. It got Christ's attention. Somebody went to great lengths to get this man to me. And it caused him to act. It caused him to. Their faith generated a response from Christ. Now. It is at this point where I would like to clearly define the word faith. This word has been perverted. I would like to say it has been undermined by charlatan preachers. You might say, what's that word charlatan preachers mean? It means bums. Bums. And I say that with authority. I got this from a 1930s era Webster's Dictionary. Sometimes I like looking up things in an older dictionary because words do change over time. Meanings do change over time. And I like to go back to what the original meaning of the words are. This is from 1930s era Webster's Dictionary. Faith. It is belief and trust in the honesty and truth of another. That's what faith actually is. It's it's not this magical thing. It is belief in trust, and in our case, in Jesus Christ. So when we apply that definition to Christ, we believe and we trust in the honesty and truth of Him. That's what faith is. 
faith is that we believe and we trust that Jesus is who he said he is. That's what faith is. That is what drove those men to get that palsied man to Jesus. They knew who he was. They had heard about him and they knew in their hearts, if we get this man to Jesus one way or the other, something's going to happen. I know something's going to happen. They had a one-track mind and they found a way and they made it to him. They knew that if they could somehow get their friend to Jesus, something would happen. They believed something would happen. They trusted something would happen. They knew, based on their knowledge of who Christ was, something would happen. Now, let me tell you what faith is not. So we can all be clear. Faith is not this name it and claim it thing. You know, it bothers me. Uh, preaching is my craft. It is who I am. It is who I am. It's what I do. It's not a job to me. It's what I am. It's who I am. I enjoy it. I love it. Therefore, I take it personal and it bothers me a whole lot to see the perversions of what this truth really is. It bothers me. It, like it, it makes me personally angry at people that have drug all this through the mud in the mire and misrepresented it, used it for personal gain, used it to, to build themselves mansion, used it to manipulate people. It bothers me on a personal level. So I like to clear these things up. It is not the name it and claim it. Contrary to word of faith preachers, there is no power in faith itself at all. None. None at all. The power is in the one you place your faith in. Christ is the one with the power. The power lies in Christ. It's in Him. Now, here is a scripture that gets twisted very badly and has been misused and misrepresented a whole lot over the years. It's John 14, 14. It says this, If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And these are the words of Jesus. So they are truthful. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. People have taken John 14, 14 and twisted it to mean that they can simply ask for any whimsical desire and then he's obligated to do it. That is not what it means whatsoever. I want a giant house in a bank account to match it. And I will ask it in Jesus' name. Now do it. I want the health and the sports cars. Never let anything go wrong in my life. Uh-uh, I will ask in His name. Remove anything of discomfort from my life. And I will ask it in His name. Therefore, He's obligated to do it. The list can go on and on and on. And the truth of the matter is, people flock to that, don't they? People flock to that. If this church started preaching that, we'd probably have to knock down the walls and build a bigger sanctuary. Because those things appeal to the flesh. They appeal to the flesh. If you'll watch those ministries and you listen to what they're saying, most of the things that they preach appeal to our flesh. The Bible couldn't be any more clear. Flesh is not good. You do not want to feed the flesh. People flock to that kind of teaching. That is not faith. You'll notice this. Let's clear this up. You'll notice that John 14, 14 says, If you ask anything in my name. They forget that little pesky part, in my name. People think that that means just slap Jesus' name on the end of your prayer. And then he's obligated. You pray for a million bucks, slap Jesus' name on the end of it. And then maybe that million bucks will start heading your way. Because he's obligated to. Because he said if you ask anything in his name, he will do it. Just add his name onto anything you want. That couldn't be further from the truth. 
It's almost in a sense that you use his good name for personal benefit. That is not in his name. That's in your name. You're just using his name to try to get yourself what you want. In his name means in alignment with his will. In his name means not my will be done, but your will be done. That's what in his name means. If you attach his name to your request, you, it better be according to his will. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Brothers and sisters, our prayers must not be selfish. They cannot be selfish. Our prayers must be according to His will. Our prayer requests must bring glory to God in some way, shape, or another. When we pray, we should seek an answer that glorifies God, not ourselves. A sports car glorifies me. A big giant mansion glorifies me. Big piles of money glorifies me. In his name means according to his will, what he wants. We've twisted that to, to, to be this selfish thing, and it's not. The truth of the matter is it's not. In, in our opening text this morning, you'll notice that these men, and, and I notice little things like this, you'll notice that these men actually don't ask Jesus anything. They don't ask him anything. Not a word. We don't know who they are. They don't speak. They don't say anything. They don't yell down, hey, Jesus, I'm going to send you this man down, and here's what we're asking you to do. They, they just bring the problem to Christ, and they let him take it from there. How many times do we dictate to God what to do? Hey, Lord, I'm going to bring you a problem, and then I'm going to suggest to you the answer to that problem. They believed, these four men, they believed, they trusted, then they brought the palsied man before Christ. Lord, here's the problem. Do what you think you should do. But we, we say, Lord, here's the problem. Now here's what you should do. How many times do we dictate to God? Notice too, the palsied man doesn't even ask for healing. There is no recording that this palsy man says, Jesus, heal me, come and heal me, please. They don't say anything. There's no recordings of any words that they say. They just get before him. Here's the problem, Lord. Here it is. I knew that if I could just get to you, here's the problem. He's the heavenly father. He knows best. This, this might be mind-blowing, but he knows better than you do. He knows better than the pastor does. He knows better than any last one of us. Just get the problem in front of him. He knows what's best in every situation. The Bible teaches that he knows before you even ask. Before you even ask, he knows. He knows what to do in every situation that is the best result possible. That will ultimately glorify God. You and I don't need to tell God what to do. That's not our place. Now we can make requests. We can ask him. I ask him stuff. I hope that you ask him stuff. We can make petitions. That's biblical. We are allowed to ask for things. But it must be believing and trusting that he knows better than we do. I've tried to do that. You know, here comes a job opportunity. Or, or whatever important thing, decision comes before you, you. You would better trust this, that the Lord knows better than you do. You'd better say, Lord, here's this opportunity. 
Lord, here's my thoughts. Lord, I'd like to take this opportunity. But you'd better give God every right to close that door in your face. I've always told the Lord, if he slams the door in my face, I won't even jiggle the handle. I'll walk away. I'll turn and I'll walk away because I'll trust that's his way of saying, nope, that's not what I have. Strangely too, and I know this has happened to many of you, there's been doors of opportunities in my life as wide as a garage door, wide open. And I'm getting ready to walk through and somehow they slam shut in my face. I mean, it's shoe in. It's shooing practically. I've already got my mindset. I've got this new position. It's going to lead to this greater money, better for me and my family, and go to step through it, and bam, it shuts in your face. You have to learn to say, okay, he said no, I trust in that. Because he knows more than I do. He's greater than I am. We, we must ask, believing and trusting that he knows what to do in your particular situation. Now, I can't help but wonder what might happen if New Hope Church could be like the paralyzed man's friends. What, what, what would it be like if we were like those four men, completely undeterred, not taking no for an answer, despite the, the circumstances, despite, despite the odds stacked against us, what might happen in this ministry if we were like those four men? If we had a similar faith, if we demonstrated a faith like them? We see the press, I'm going to find another way then. It could, this could be dangerous, we're, we're going to do it. You see, sometimes I believe that us New Hope folks, we believe in Jesus. That's not the problem. We, we believe in Him. We trust in Him. We do. But then we see the crowds thronging Him. And here we are carrying our problem. To, trying to get to Jesus, and then we look up and we see the crowds, we see the press, and we're like, we can't, can't get to Jesus. There's no way to get to Him. Maybe we can try later. Maybe we'll catch Him on a, a different day where there's not so many people. And, and we, we turn away, we walk away. What? You, you want to take a paralyzed man up on the roof? You've got to be kidding me. That roof, it looks awfully high. It looks dangerous. And the palsied man, he's kind of heavy. My problem, it's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. It's too hard to carry up on that roof. That's a lot of dead weight to get up on that roof. Is the roof even sturdy? Will it hold us? How do we even know we can get through that roof? What if we get up there and they build it really good and we can't get through it? What, if, what about this? What about that? I just don't think it's a good idea. My marriage, it's just far too gone. My son, he's just much too wayward. There's no way out of my situation. My loved ones will never get saved. My neighbors, they'll never, they'll never come to the full understanding of the knowledge of God. Our nation's just too evil. The drug problem in our nation's just too difficult. The mental health crisis is just too big. Come on, get those thoughts out of your mind. Get them out of your mind. Get rid of the thoughts of unbelief. Flush that junk out of your mind. Why? Because we have Luke chapter 5 before us this morning teaching us to find a way to Christ. That's what it's shouting to me. Find a way. Get that problem to Jesus. Get it to Him. Just get there. That's all you got to do. Get that problem to Him. Hebrews chapter 11. 
says this, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you ain't got any faith, if your faith is very weak, you're going to have a real hard time pleasing the Lord. Because you've got to have faith in order to see the moves of God. You've got to believe and trust in the honesty and truth of another. In this case, Jesus Christ. We need some brothers and sisters that will be like the friends of the palsied man this morning. They saw the crowd, didn't bother them, they'll find another way. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Those four friends were diligent, were they? They didn't get turned away. I'm sure they were discouraged. I'm sure they woke up and said, hey, let's get the palsy man to Jesus. We'll slip in. We'll slip out. Bada bing, bada boom. He'll be healed. We'll move about our business. And they get there and they look and they see the crowd. I'm sure they were discouraged. Oh, man. How are we going to get to him? But they kept going. God rewards genuine faith. God is moved by genuine faith. Listen to me now. It is the responsibility, and I did say responsibility, it is the responsibility of New Hope Church to this community to be steadfast in faith so that others might be healed and forgiven. That's your responsibility if you're a member of this church. You have a responsibility to this community to be strong in your faith. To not be wavering like a wave sea tossed to and fro. You must be steadfast and strong in faith. Why? So that maybe someone else will be saved and brought into the kingdom. It's our responsibility to this community that we're in. I'll bring this to a close. The band can start making their way. But we have one last little thing we'll look at before we go. Let's look quickly at the final disposition of the palsied man. Okay, now I know there's a lot that we skipped over. You know, his little bantering with the, the Pharisees and the, the doctors at the law. We didn't look at any of that. Don't have the time for it. But we're going to look at the end result of these four men who were undeterred and showed strong faith in another, Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verse 25 it's Jesus forgives him, and immediately, this is a palsy man, and immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Verse 26 says, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. When the Bible says in King James, we have seen strange things, what that means is the people went around and said, man, we've seen some wondrous things today. We've seen some wonderful things today, meaning we've seen some things we can't completely wrap our minds around all the way. We've seen strange things. So, let's sum this up. Because of the palsied man's friend's faith, those four men, he was healed, forgiven, and went away glorifying God. Oh, and also all the people around the palsied man glorified God also. Also, don't forget, it was right in front of all the critics, the Pharisees, the doctors of the laws. It was right in their face. Do you not see what Luke chapter 5 is trying to tell us? 
It's saying, be steadfast in your faith. Place your faith in me, in Jesus Christ, in his power, in his authority. Bring those problems to him. Bring them to him. And he will perform great and mighty things right in the face of all the critics and all those people glorified God. I'd say that's a pretty good outcome for the strong faith of those four men. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And let's remember that phrase. And when he saw their faith. Amen? Look, these altars are open. I'm wondering this morning, will there be any who will stand with me this morning and tell the Lord we want to have the faith, the same faith that those four men had? Amen? Amen.